What is happening, everybody? Back again, another episode of the Off Track Experience. Now, I'm really excited to bring you guys this episode. I sit down with a good friend of mine, Blake Dryberg. Now, we met about a year ago dancing on the, the pavilion dance floor, and we, uh, we connected pretty quickly. Now, he told me a story about when he was playing rugby, and he sustained a neck injury, which actually left him paralyzed like myself. And I knew when I heard it back then that I wanted to kind of share his story. He's been someone that's played rugby his entire life. It's been his goal and passion. And he played overseas professionally in Singapore, all around Australia. He actually went to New Zealand to compete as well, uh, just before COVID happened. Now, when the injury happened, he thought that that was kind of all over and that was the end of it. But since then he was recovering, he was getting healthy, he was getting feeling back. And he started training again to start competing. Now, unfortunately, recently, only a couple months ago, he was running along the North Burley walkway there and he sustained a cardiac arrest, which left him dead for about five to six minutes. His heart shut off. So after that, he got, he got a defibrillator put in his body and now he won't be able to actually compete in rugby. But he's one of those people that you close a door and he knows a window open somewhere and he's not sure what his new thing will be, but he knows there will be a new thing. And he's just a super positive guy that goes through life with a big smile, knowing everything will be all right in the end. And no matter what, keep smiling and laughing. So I really hope you guys enjoy this podcast. I really enjoyed recording, recording it with Blake and definitely have to have him on again when he does find his thing. Before we get into the podcast, quick word from the sponsors. If a comprehensive solution is what you need, which I know it is, then get some Athletic Greens in your life. I'm going to put a link in the description. You guys can jump on that, get some free travel packs, get some free vitamin D, get your morning started right, get your day lunchtime started right, get your nighttime started right or ending right. Just get it right. And I'll throw that link in and you guys can enjoy some Athletic Greens. But now enjoy the podcast with Blake. Cheers, guys. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. It depends what you're asking. <laughs> I think for podcasting, deep voice all the way. All right, Not that real days. soothing, you know, really, you know, yeah. put you to sleep or wake you up or yeah. I don't know. I need a voice for radio because I don't have a face for... <laughs> What's that, sorry? I've got a face for radio, so I need a voice to match it. <laughs> so yeah, let's do it. Um, all right. Blake Dryberg, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dan. Now, I was thinking back the other day when I actually met you. Do you remember when you met me, what we were doing? Burley Pavilion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I was probably uh, more than a couple of drinks deep and boogieing away um, as as we normally do, but yeah, it, was, it was a good giggle. Because I remember I met you guys all on the dance floor and I was there by myself, so I just was like, I'm going to go meet up with whoever's there and have a good time. Yeah. And I remember I came, you had like a fair old group of people with you and you were just kind of dancing in the centre of the dance floor and kind of swapping around and I kind of just like Jumped shimmied my way in. Yeah. And then I didn't even realise like Nathan is an actual dancer and he's yeah. obviously fairly getting down and you kind of feed off their energy because they're going for it. And I remember you were in there doing it as well and everyone was having a good time. Yeah. But then I remember you came up to me afterwards. I think we were sitting down at the side and you came up and just like introduced yourself and started chatting with me. Yeah. Have you always been someone like that that will just like make an effort to actually like make someone feel comfortable in a situation like that? I think so. Like I think I noticed that um, you weren't 
there with anyone else as well and you jumped in with us and we we're having a great time I'm like this dude's awesome like bringing the energy because normally I, I don't care i'll dance like no one's watching and um like nathan's pretty good at that as well so when you just jumped in with us I was like oh awesome but i think i'll just sort of gravitate to the energy that i feel um, yeah yeah it's, it's comfortable so yeah definitely like that do you find do you find you try and do stuff like that when you go out like if you're by yourself you just put yourself out there and try and I probably don't actually go out um, by myself too much but I think uh, after like certain events then I end up like putting myself out in um, situations more so than what I used to so yeah now I do like to meet new people or just put myself in um, situations that I'm more comfortable in that I never used to be comfortable in. So yeah, you kind of put yourself out there a little bit more. Definitely, because it, it is funny. Because now that I've moved up here and live here, I don't go out by myself. I go out with people all the time. But when yeah. I first moved up here, I didn't really know anyone. Like I knew a few people, but I was just like, I've got to go meet people. Yeah. So you kind of put yourself in that situation where you've got to. Yeah, you're forced to make yeah. that connection. But yeah, I think I've got like a really tight knit group of friends, and we do pretty much everything together whether it be gym go out or just any sporting events so i've got like friends that i do things with so i never really find myself having to make that like one-on-one connection like you were doing that night so no, i respect it but you definitely see when someone is like that you're like i'm going to gravitate yeah. gravitate towards them because they're obviously yeah having a good time getting oh, down. Sure. i like like people feeling included and I think it's a big thing with my friendship group as well. Everyone's sort of like that. Like you'll we'll bring people in or you'll make um, your mates feel a bit more comfortable. So yeah, it's always good. Well, that's what I felt just from obviously that small little interaction on the dance floor. You guys are obviously fairly like present on the dance floor, making like yeah. dancing and having a good time. But you would accept people coming in and it wasn't like you're like, oh, we're in our small group. and like stay away. Yeah, stay yeah. away. You're like, no, nah. you like accept people to come in and actually do it. Yeah. Like we'll bring other people in. We'll probably laugh at you, but like <laughs> we expect you to laugh at us as well. Yeah. So yeah, it's good. Yeah, always up for a good time. Are all the guys in the group like Nathan? I don't know how, I don't know anyone else besides Nathan really, but are you kind of all like that where you're just all just having a good time, having a laugh at yourself and just, I don't know, enjoying life? I reckon pretty much, yeah. Like we've always been a pretty happy-go-lucky sort of friend group um mm. and whether it be like going out because often nathan and i can go out sober and have a good time and just like to be present and enjoy dancing or whatever it is and not really um being open to judgment from other people we're happy to just do as we please and all my other mates are much the same and if they if someone's new to the friendship group and they aren't that way inclined they probably end up loosening up a little bit over time and yeah, getting a lot more comfortable because we realize there's no point in stressing about things and do you reckon that's almost not like a superpower but like people don't think they can go out sober like everyone thinks yeah. you need to go out and be real fucked up to have uh, a good time when you can go out sober and feed off other people's energy and then use that to lift you up definitely um i think obviously i have a good time when i'm on the fist too but um <laughs> yeah all you, the time <laughs> yeah it's like a good time whether you're drinking or not so yeah being able to enjoy yourself and have like a level of confidence without having any alcohol I think it's so good. Yeah. yeah. But you're not always getting down the piss and going out and having a fun time. You actually definitely you not. do get serious now and again. Yeah, yeah. Because when we were chatting, you were saying that you were playing rugby professionally and that was obviously like a goal of yours. Yeah. What Do you want to talk us through what, I guess, from when you started playing rugby and what the goal was and what you wanted to do with it? And then obviously we'll kind of move forward to then where it all kind of took a bit of a turn yeah, and whatnot. Yeah. I think um, – like through high school, I always wanted to play um, sport. I've always gravitated towards different sports, whether it be touch footy. I grew up playing soccer, did I played AFL, and then 
as soon as I started playing rugby union, I fell in love with it. So pretty much from 10 years old on till about two months ago, I was playing rugby union, whether it be social or like pretty much professional full time. Um, but yeah, so I finished up grade 12 and was pushing to play as high level rugby as that it was what I could managed to play in Singapore um, seven. So that was awesome for me in my development played Darwin, which was like another invitational international tournament. Um, and then upon coming back to like the Gold Coast in Brisbane, end up moving over to Wellington for, uh, it's like super rugby is um, under 20. So I moved over there. I was in Wellington for about eight or nine days, um, managed to go in, meet all my teammates, train with everybody, played our first trial match and then um, COVID hit. So I get a phone call from um, our manager at the time and he calls me into the office on a Monday and sits me down. He's like, oh, hey, mate, like, as you know, we've just been like, getting to know what's going on with this COVID thing. And it's like, we're happy because um, it was meant to be a two-week lockdown at the time. We're happy for you to go home for two weeks or if you want to just stay where you're staying for the next two weeks and we'll get back into training, that's fine. And I'm like, yeah, that's all right. I'll just contact my parents and see what their sort of thoughts were. I was like fresh 18 at the time and I wasn't quite sure how I was going to navigate a completely unfamiliar situation. Mm. Um, so I called my old man and my mother and spoke to um, my old man first and he goes, yeah, like just stay there. You've only been there eight days. Like it's, it'll blow over. You've got two week lockdown and yeah. then you'll be back into it. And he goes, I'll put you onto your mum and she'll tell you the same thing. Put, puts mum on. She's like, get on the first flight home. <laughs> get out of there. Yeah. And so sure enough, I was like, oh, okay. And so um, I was lucky enough, the club I was at put me on the first flight home and Touchdown in Brizzy uh, the next day, I think it was. Um, and it didn't end up being two-week lockdown. I think they were locked down for a few months and I never ended up going back. Um, but after that, the goal was still to be playing high-level rugby. So I was at West Bulldogs in Brizzy um, and didn't play 15s that year, but ended up playing sevens at the end of the season. Um, and leading into that sevens, I was meant to be going to Singapore. What's again. the difference between 15 and se- like the? Because I, I don't really know rugby that well, so yeah. I'm like... So 15s is literally 15 players on the field. You play for 80 minutes and it's very position um, specific. Yeah. Um, and then sevens, seven players on the field. You play seven minute half. So it's a lot more explosive, very quick. Um, you need to be really fit. Um, so yeah, I, and I love it because it suits my body type a lot more. You're not coming up against really big bodies and you're able to have a lot more space and a lot more time on the field. So Actually move a bit more and sure. yeah, pick yeah. your windows and yeah, yeah. I get you. I don't have to be running into 140 kilo Samoan and Tongan guys. I just get to <laughs> battle guys that are similar size to me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that was good. Uh, getting back into the sevens because I love it. Um, but then leading into that season, I got to play, I think it was our first tournament was at home. Um, Bris Vegas is a tournament at West. So we were hosting, played the first game, played well. Second game, I went into a tackle and um, broke my neck, which was pretty full on. Um, what did what was you say you broke your neck? What was the actual specifics of the injury? Like what? So I had a dislocated C four, five, six, and seven. My C five was pressing into my spinal cord, which left me paralyzed from my neck down. I also broke my C five facet joint, which. Um, ruptured my vertebral artery on the right side of my neck so I was pretty well oh and it ripped out my c6 nerve root as well so I had originally no feeling from like my neck down um, and then after that they straightened my head up which gave me pretty well excruciating pain from shooting down my arms but I couldn't feel any anything until that point I had numbness and I still have some level of numbness now 
So um, when they moved you, that's when feeling came back, but lots of pain at the same time. Yeah. So I, I went from being completely numb and relatively calm and relaxed to um, having this feeling of like burning in my hands and like a le- sort of electric shocks down my arms. And yeah, I was taken to hospital. And what what was the feeling when you were pa- like when you were paralyzed? What was going through your head in those moments when you were laying there? Yeah. So I think the impact happened. My, my teammate need me in the neck and I noticed straight away I could see like the right side of my body I was sort of lying on my front um but then I went to hop up which was like a normal reaction if I'd fallen off a tackle and as I went to move I, nothing happened so I was a bit like oh, it's odd and it all seemed really slow and then probably within the next five ten seconds our doctor was on my neck and like I have a pretty friendly relationship with our team physio she's looked after me for a long time and she's like oh Blake you've been knocked out um, and I was like, no, nah, I'm being conscious the whole time. I can't feel my legs. And then she's like, oh, okay. And I think I could hear the panic in her voice, but I was still relatively calm and things are moving slowly. Um, but then seeing that side of my body, I like really focused on moving my hand. Nothing. Watched it, nothing. I looked at my foot, nothing. And I think I got a little bit of a wink out of one of my toes. I can't remember if it was left or right foot, but I still had pretty well nothing. And then I had... Like more and more um, medical personnel come over, touching up my legs. Can you feel this? Can you feel that? Nothing, nothing, nothing. And then I was stable. I think I was on the ground for 27 minutes before the ambulance arrived. Um, and I'd been put in the hard collar. And then after um, the handover to the ambulance, they had taken the hard collar off. They straightened my head up, which is when I started feeling pain. And um, yeah, placed me in a soft collar. And so, Dude, even just hearing that, because obviously from what I just went yeah. through as well, but hearing it from someone else almost seems worse when you hear the whole you do that you look at your body and it's just yeah. it's just non-responsive and you just think, did you did you think that were you just like I'm I'm paralyzed like I'm this is because you don't think oh I'll get my feeling back in yeah. ten minutes I'll get my feeling back and it will be or you don't think that you just think yeah. broken neck what's happening to me right now yeah yeah you can't think in the future this is all very present moment stuff literally and i think because i couldn't feel anything as at all i was very calm so i was just lying there everyone else around you is like a million miles an hour making sure that you're you're okay and you can't do anything you, you're at the mercy of everybody else so i was i was lying there and i'm like as bad as this is i there's no point in me stressing i can't control it so lay here you it's feel ge- so vulnerable don't you you just Honestly. like you're like i can't do anything yeah. literally nothing yeah. i'm at the mercy of what anyone else does to me right now yeah and it's like if something needed like if i needed to move i can't i physically cannot do anything with the way that my body feels and the way i'm feeling my body there's no feeling at all there's no movement that so i just lay there just when you're waited. saying that that it was really peaceful because yeah. i can relate to that i had moments where i think it's probably I would say probably the most peace I've ever been with in my entire life because I had no worry in the world besides I hope I can walk again. That was it. I didn't care what I was having for dinner that night. I didn't care about what my friends were doing. I didn't care about the race. I didn't care about nothing. And I think so often in life, you're always worried about something, no matter how big or small that is. And this just went, this is the one thing I'm worried about. Nothing else matters right now. And when you think like that and you also think, well, I can't control that. Like that's what I'm worried about. But you know you can't control it now you know it's in someone else's hands. So yeah. you just kind of got to lay there and just go, all right, well, I'm along for the ride now and I Pretty hope much. it's not too bumpy, but this is what we're in. Yeah, it is what it is. And yeah, I completely agree with you because you become like you often don't think as present as that moment. And mm. I can't compare it to anything else either. 
I'm lying there on this grass field. There's people around me, and you can hear all these noises, but you're sort of not tuning into them as well. You have a moment of peace. You just sit there. There's nothing else you really can do, so it is what it is. And you're almost just blank, aren't you? You're just there, and you just yeah. There's not like there's so much going on and nothing at the same time. I think not being able to feel anything as well is really relaxing. (laughs) As as bad as it sounds, like you go from feeling absolutely everything and you can't feel pressure, you can't feel sensation, but it's it's not stressing you out at all. You're just there. You're like, okay. It's like the ultimate form of meditation where everyone tries to get out of their body and into yeah. their head. And then it's just like, all right, well, you want to do that quickly, you just break your neck. Yeah, break your neck. And yeah, and then it's good. Yeah. Then it's easy straight straight away. You can find ultimate enlightenment just in a snap neck. Yeah. But I think it would be hard for people because, well, I don't think everyone that would have a spinal cord injury could have that same mindset. Like there would be a lot of panic and a lot of stress. And that's obviously that was mixed in with that. But I think once you realize the situation, you can kind of look at it from this perspective. Like you said before, it is what it is. I can't change that now. I'm just in this. And once you accept that and go, go, well, let's just go through this and see what happens. But it's out of my hands now. And I think that's like the freeing part that then lets you go into that place of just like kind of pure bliss in a way in such a fucked up spot. (laughs) Pretty much. I was like, this is what it is. Let's see. Like I can't do anything. We'll see what, they can do with me now I'll just wait and I think the only part that sort of stressed me is when I got handed over to the paramedics because they were very relaxed like oh it's probably I think originally they were saying it's probably a shoulder injury and you might have nerve damage in your shoulder and I'm thinking shoulder I can't feel anything from the neck down and um, after I had my head straightened up I had this really sickening feeling like I was going to be um, like vomit and I was really nauseous and then one of the female paramedics here saying, oh, if you feel like you're going to be sick, we'll sit you up. And then our team doctor was like, sit him up? What do you mean? He has a suspected spinal cord injury. So I didn't get sat up. Um, and I think I've been told from one of my neuros that when they straightened my head up, it was actually the dissection of my vertebral artery when the facet joint was broken. Um, when they set you up? Well, when they straightened my when head. When they straightened, yeah. So we, can't, we will never be able to know if that's happened at yeah. that point or not. Yeah. But he said it's pretty common. So the dissection of the vertebral artery would have caused a blood pressure drop and then me be really nauseous and have that feeling of being sick. So I was lucky I wasn't sick and had a violent sort of vomiting episode because I could have done even more oh, damage to my spinal cord. Dude. Um, but yeah, I was very lucky that the level of injury that I had, I've been able to recover pretty well from. And I think another reason why I was so relaxed is one of my best mates, Isaiah, probably two years earlier, he got um, dumped in the surf. And he was face down in the water, completely paralyzed. And he had broken his um, C5 and C6 as well. So pretty much the exact same injury, but to a different um, degree. And he ended up making a pretty good recovery. Like when he walked again and he's able to do most things. I think he's got a little bit of tricep damage on one of his sides. But when I got to the hospital and then had all my scans done, they realized, yeah, you've got this dislocated. This is pressing on your spinal cord. Like you're... C5, whatever's broken. When I knew it was the same as his, I was like, oh, he was able to walk again and I'll be able to walk again. Um, you obviously have doctors coming and they'll tell you you're never going to walk again and all those sorts of things. But I think that was never really on the cards. I didn't really uh, like listen to what he said and take it in. Um, whereas most people might hear the doctor tell them they'll never walk again and dwell on that and go, oh, okay, this is, this is my new normal. I'm going to be paralyzed from the neck down or the legs down or whatever it may be. Um, I feel like with that, doctors jump on the whole you won't ever walk again train pretty quickly yeah i feel like you can just kind of come in and say we don't know yeah. but i guess they don't want to say they don't know but i just feel like it's 
such a heavy thing to come in and this kid's in a neck brace in bed, doesn't know what's happening, goes, you'll never walk again. Yeah. It's like, do they try and do that to like motivate you or just yeah. crush you? It's like, I think like two different types of people will take it two very different ways. Like if some people might hear they're never going to walk again and they go, this is my new, like I'm not going to try walk again. I'm going to sit down in bed and be sorry with myself and oh, I'm never going to walk. But I think, it was, yeah, I just never sort of agree with them. Like, no, you can't tell me I'm not going to walk again. I was 19 at the time. Like, I'm 19 years old. <laughs> you expect me to never use my legs or my arms again? No, it's not happening. So, I was going to say, how do you normally go with doubt? Like, when someone doubts you, like, does that kind of piss you off and yeah, motivates you? Yeah, definitely. I think if I back my ability, and I'm hyper competitive, so I often back myself in most situations i'll be like why are you doubting me like well i'll prove you wrong yeah um so that's probably an element of that as well when the doctor comes in and tells you you're not going to do something i'm like i'll show you yeah this. yeah so i think it was six days after um having my surgery so i had um four screws and a titanium plate put in my neck which stabilized my c5 and c6 they took my c5 vertebrae out and then they put um like a hard collar on so i was in that for eight weeks after making sure my vertebral artery dissection was wait so so what did they take out they took out your one of the discs in my neck they yeah. just took it is that gonna affect they've put an artificial um cage in there so that's all fused now um but i've got i think it's my c5 disc is gone and yeah um, <laughs> on on the scan it just looks like these four dots but there's a there's a cage. There's a cage in there with artificial bone marrow. So I think there's pretty much one solid um, bone with a titanium plate over the top of it. Did you lose movement and stuff once once they put the cage and stuff in, or has that pretty yeah. much come back? Now I don't notice it at all, like movement wise. But having like a rigid collar on for 24 hours a day, seven days a week for eight weeks straight, that was tough um, and very restricted. Like often I'd look certain ways and I could only look a certain distance and I'd look back the other way and it would be really stiff and really sore like a lot of pain and then you'd get odd, random sharp pain shooting up or down your neck um, so yeah very restrictive and initially in that first three months I, so I spent 11 days in the Royal and then I spent like another six or seven weeks in the PA in the spinal rehab unit um, and pretty much the whole time I was there I had limited movement of my arms legs neck head whatever it may be um did you ever have a point where you didn't think that it was going to get better like was there a point where you just thought what's the point of this this is me now kind of give up in a way honestly no uh, i think i was always able to pull progression out of either the day before or the week before um so i was either looking at improving constantly and i never really tried to settle on the negative uh, which i think i lucky that i was able to do so because there were some pretty dark times that you would think this is terrible and you hope that it does continue to get better and you, you think maybe there's things that won't improve um but on a whole i always thought i was gonna yeah, keep moving that's forward. the thing we talked about as well because you don't know yeah that's the biggest spinal cord injury that i've learned and when i've talked to other people that have had similar things like you just i know you could wake up tomorrow and have your hand back or you could have your temperature back or you could have yeah. something back but you don't know which is kind of, you can see that, look at that in two ways as it's, you don't know what you're going to get. It's like a lucky dip with your health yeah. where when you break your wrist, okay, I know it's going to be X amount this week and then next week's going to be X amount better. But with a spinal cord injury, you're like, 
let's spin the wheel and yeah. see where we end up because you don't you don't actually know and i think that's when you can get in your own head about being pretty pretty down about the whole situation because you just is this me from now on because we even talked in the car before and you said there's still run on from that injury that you still get now where your hands will kind of spasm and you'll stretch and stuff will happen and i'm getting similar things still and i'm like is that gonna go or is that just me now and you we, well, i don't know you don't know yeah who knows another few years you're like oh i'm completely healed or you're like i'm healed but also there's some some things that are still niggling and, and they're still there yeah oh definitely i think like for me now I'm, I'm coming up to three years um since my injury like my spinal cord injury and there's definitely things that are still evident that I, I probably will never recover from in saying that even still now i'll get different like different changes like i've got a numbness down my whole left leg but that will um, change depending on environment whether it be diet whether it be hot cold there's all different things that still play a part in it so i think you're yeah as you're saying it is such an un- unknown and for such a complicated part of the body there's people that specialize in it but they can tell you it might recover it might not recover and no one's really going to be able to give you a definite it's still so right open that was one thing they said to me like could be a month could be three months could be six months could be a year we don't know mm. it's gonna it's so different for every single person because it's such a like how do you judge how much you've stretched your spinal cord or pushed yeah. into it? It's just such a open-ended kind of thing. Did you lose temperature in your body? Was it hard to regulate and get the feeling of your temperature once once you were, were recovering? I did, yeah. I think we were um, discussing it a little bit, but I lost um, sensation. So I had this thing called Brown's Card Syndrome. So I had the sensation on my left side of my body completely go and the coordination on my right side go. So it was a bit of opposite. But then I have sensation issues on my right arm as well so coming out of um like as i was recovering pretty much i would have hypersensitivity on my whole sort of body whether it be and i'd feel like burning sensation or i'd have really cold legs and then you'd feel like a sheet running over your body felt like razor blades so dealing with different sensations was really tricky how did water go because when i'd hop in the shower and get water on the back of my neck it was it was like it would sting but it would just be like the smallest little like temperature change in my spine and it would just throw you out. Yeah. Yeah. And you said that with the blanket, you said the blanket was the thing that felt just horrible. Yeah. Was that the worst thing or was there other things that were worse? I think that was initially the worst thing that was in hospital. I was um, like, I I think I had a blanket pulled over me and as it dragged up my body, I just felt like, I don't know if you've had fiberglass in your skin. Yeah. It feels like you've got some, someone playing with fiberglass in your skin. It was just like a constant um, burn and pain all over me and I couldn't do it. I had to have the blanket take it off. Um, so that was initially the worst. But then when I got home, I decided I was going to put my legs in the pool. And I think this is when I first discovered I had the Browns acquired because I had both my legs in and I had two different temperatures. I had one feeling it, which was my right side, feeling it normally. And then my left side felt completely different and it made me feel sick. Um, so getting used to that because that's still pretty well the same now. And then I realised if I had an ice cube, on my stomach and it was on the right side of my body i could feel the cold but then if it went over to the left i couldn't feel it so it was like i could watch this cold object go from one side of my body to the other and watch where the sensation would disappear that was weird but it was also kind of cool at the same time well the the fact you figured it out but that's still such a that's a trip man yeah actually watch and then feel it at the same time i was having these um i think it's heparin injections to thin my blood um to stop clots while I was in hospital. And when I got 
to go home over Christmas for 10 days and my parents had to do the injections for me. And I remember my mum was the one doing it on my right side and my dad was doing it on the left. And originally I just thought mum didn't know how to do it properly because I kept getting this really <laughs> bad pain. And I'm going, you're killing me, mum. Like, oh, I'm not going to let poor, you do it. Poor mum. Meanwhile, it wasn't mum doing it wrong. It was I couldn't feel the other side. So then after we discovered that, I ended up having all the injections on the one side of my stomach. Just breaks a family up. You're yeah. just like yelling at your mum. Dad, get on the other side. Yeah, I kept saying, I'm like, mum, you're killing me. Like every time you do it, it hurts. And my old man's laughing. He's like, see, I know how to do it properly. Yeah. And they were trying to argue about how it was being administered into my abdomen. We're, meanwhile, it wasn't that at all. It was you just the fact feel that it. feel yeah. it. Yeah. So it's a bit luck of the draw, which was. Oh, dude. That's very wild. That's such a, that's such a trip. And how long you're in, from when you went into hospital, how long were you actually in hospital recovering and neck brace and everything till you kind of went home and felt somewhat normal again? Yeah, so I think it was six and a half weeks or six and a half, seven weeks that I spent in hospital. I had a brief break over Christmas because um, I did it in December and then I got to go home and spend it with the family, which I was over the moon about. Um, they weren't going to let me go home, but luckily enough, I did get to have some level of normality. Um, but I, yeah, I had a hard rigid collar on for eight weeks straight. The only time that got changed is after a shower. I had to wear it during the shower and then I had a separate spare of pads. So I would have somebody brace my head while that would get changed over and then straight back on. So And sleeping in it as well. Slept in it. Yeah, that was definitely a difficult one for me. And Oh, dude, I'm like... In the I heat had it so lucky considering that. That was one thing they're like, we don't know how you didn't fracture anything. And that was yeah. blessing in disguise because like, like I said with you, I took my neck brace off even earlier than I should have just because did you feel, because one thing I hated about it is every time I'd see someone and I'd wear it, you'd get all this sympathy, but it was like, it would, it would make you feel 10 times worse because everyone'd be like, you okay? And is everything all right? And that'd make you feel so different mm. and make you feel, make you feel broken. Yeah. And you're like, I don't feel that broken. Like I'm not good, but if you came up to me and laughed and kind of not ignored it, but just treated me like how you would normally treat me and be excited to see me. And again, it's not like it's their way of processing a situation and they're trying to do their best to care for you. But coming up to someone that is obviously not in a good way, you don't have to go, Oh, is everything all right? You're like, everything isn't fucking all right. But you saying that makes it worse. If you come up to me and go, how you doing? Like what's been going on? Like just treat me like, normal person a normal person it'll just flow better but that was like I've t i talked about this the other day like i just want to take it off because i got sick of making people sad when they saw me mm. every time someone see me they'd be bummed and i'm like i hate that when people i want people to see me and go dean like how you been what's yeah. going on and i remember i went to the markets in um Corumban and they had two people that were friends um of cooper chapman's he was there and he introduced me to these two friends and they came up to me and they were just like they were like very compassionate but it just made me feel so just, oh, like I am. And it made me kind of shut off and I didn't want to be there anymore. But just because it, the people was like, oh, is everything. And like they were just being caring. Like 100% I know what they were trying to do. And I do appreciate people that are caring. But it's just how I processed it and took it. And then I had another mate when I caught up with him. He's just like, dude, you got folded like a lawn chair when you had that crash. And it just made me laugh. And I was like, yeah, I did. And it just was funny because I'm yeah. like, you know it's serious. We all know it's serious. It's a spinal cord injury. It's serious. So joke about it because yeah, it's like... Take the piss out of me. Yeah. Yeah, don't just make me feel like I'm like this alien guy now that's like I can't... Like you said, like your mum would bring it up when you would start playing again and 
it, it just it stresses you out because then you think about it and then it gets in your head and then it just spirals out into this negative thing of it controls who you are and it's just like this fear of like it could happen again or what's going to happen and it's not healthy and you said that I let you explain it, but you said when you started going again, you just didn't want anyone to talk about it so it wouldn't get in your head. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I think, like, my closest mates and my brother, they came and saw me while I was still, um, like, fresh out of a surgery. So neck braces on, I had a drain coming out of my neck, and I was hooked up to all sorts of different things. And my brother puts on Stan Smith when your legs won't work like they used to before. Instantly puts a smile on my face, like probably highly inappropriate for the time, but I thought it was hilarious. Um, but who's it inappropriate for? It's you. Yeah. It's and so he's, my mum's going, Kyle, like, what are you playing that for? And then he's, he's having to laugh. He's like, oh, I'm trying to cheer him up. And it did exactly that. Yeah. And it, that's what I think laughter is so important in those sorts of situations. Like, I think I couldn't grip my hand properly. So the boys would come in and they'd make the video out of me. Like taking the piss out of me pretty much. And I'm like, awesome, do it. Like, use me to laugh because I'll laugh with you. Yeah. Um, whereas you'd go out in just a normal setting and like you're saying, because I'm wearing this neck brace and I had to have it on so I couldn't avoid yeah, that sort of interaction. People would be pulling things out, like to get out of your way or going out of their way to, and it just, you notice it and it definitely pulls back a bit from <laughs> your mood and you know how this is a bit shit. Did you feel socially you stopped going out as much and doing as much because of that reason? Yeah, it took me a long time. Um, and it was so draining for me to leave the house, like even just with the injury and then let alone having that like, physical interaction with people and trying to explain over and over again the same yeah. thing. It was so draining. I'm like, nah, I'd you almost want to stay home. Yeah, you almost want to make something up, hey? Yeah. It's like, yeah, you know, skiing accident, went off a cliff, you know, 50 foot. <laughs> Land in powder. It was pretty soft, but you know, like just each person have a different story, just because then at least you can change it. Yeah, yeah, it's not the same thing over and over again, and you just and you, yeah, because that's another thing. You just get sick of repeating yourself constantly. And Maybe. again, there's nothing wrong. People are concerned. It's, they're not doing anything wrong, but it puts you in that state of mind where you're just like, I just want to be a shut in. Yeah, because the I had a it was probably four or five days where I just got to a real low point, and I remember the voice in my head was just saying, what's the point? And I haven't had that voice come in my head in since I was like a young kid and was in a bad place, but it's just like, what's the point? And that is such a dangerous mindset to have with anything because it's like, well, it just takes away your fuel to do anything because it's like, what's the point in doing this? What's the point in getting up? What's the point of going to rehab? What's the point in training? And just if you have that, that spiral you out to such a negative loop of just, destructive like you just be so self-destructive in yourself because you won't want to see people you won't want to eat healthy you won't want to do any of these things that you know is good for you but what's the point and you can't like it's good when you can see yourself in that and understand that you're like this is not healthy yeah snap out of it but some people don't see themselves in that they just go into that and they stay in that and it's just like i think that's why a lot of people like do commit suicide because they go into that what's the point and there's no seeing themselves in that. They're just in that. There's no yeah, mirrors yeah. reflecting where they're thinking. They're just, they're in that point. And then they just get the, they get to literally the point where they're like, what is the point? And then they're out. Yeah. They tap out. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I was on a pretty heavy nerve relief, which I didn't know at the time was a antidepressant. And one of the side effects were depression and anxiety. So I've never been somebody to have those sort of thoughts. And I did find myself having them. So I just thought this is really odd. And, um, ended up going to the doctor and looking up the side effects of the medication that I'd been put on from the doctors at hospital. 
And sure enough, suicidal thoughts, anxiety, depression. Like, that probably explains some of the thoughts I was having. So it was one of these things that you're supposed to wean off and I went cold turkey. And it probably took me maybe a couple of weeks of still having up and down emotions and moods. But then after that, I would rather have dealt with having nerve pain than having those thoughts and not having um, pain. Was this a painkiller or an antidepressant? It was a nerve suppressant. So nerve suppressant, yeah. Okay. So it was... I was having really bad like sensation issues and all those sorts of things. So they were trying to get that uncomfortableness um, out of my body and they were giving me this thing that would numb me and dull me down and in doing that it made me feel terrible. Um, so I was glad I ended up coming off that. And even though I was able to ha- like stop having those thoughts, then I would still have that, the, the negative was I had my nerve pain just go through the roof. So I think I slept through the night four nights in nine months. So it was four or five nights we recorded a full sleep with no waking up because I didn't, I was able to put up with the nerve pain mm. every other day I'd wake up cause I'd just be, something would be firing funny. Dude, the whole double edged sword. It's like be depressed, suicidal yeah. thoughts, but you're not in pain. Be, be, yeah. But you're not in pain or in lots of pain, but you can actually somewhat be yourself. And that's such a, which do you pick? Because do we ha- we having nightmares and stuff when you're on it? Uh, I can't even remember to be honest. Now it's been a while, but yeah, I was having I was getting woken up by different sort of feelings, and I'd catch myself going, and then even just during the day, I'd be sitting there going, I'd just check out and didn't want to talk to people, didn't want to hang out, and I'm normally not life of the party, mm-hmm. but I'll be joking around and in- interacting, whether it be with my parents, my mates, family, anybody, I'll be there talking to somebody, and I was like, I'll just go sit in my room. Yeah. And then I'd catch myself going, okay, yeah, this is shit. Yeah, and that's such an easy thing to fall into, man, with yeah. that. And like you said, the the painkillers, they just become your daily. Like as quickly as I feel you can get off painkillers, get the fuck off painkillers. No yeah. matter what the injury is, I find no matter how big or small, as soon as I start taking painkillers regularly, mood changes, mindset changes, have nightmares, just everything goes backwards. Yeah. You're like this is the worst shit you can put into your body, like hundred percent the agree. worst stuff. And that's like you said, look at the side effects, and you're like, what's better here? Yeah, like if you can tolerate pain to a certain extent, tolerate the pain. And it's like, like for me now, I just had another surgery, and like endone was um, one of the things that I've been given. And for the first night, maybe two nights, it's one of those things that you'd have to take to even get a lick of sleep. So I can understand yeah. it then. But then if it, the pain gets to a level that you can tolerate it, 100% agree, get off as many things as it, that you can because your mental clarity and your moods completely change. Yeah. But yeah, when I saw you hit that tree fire out, I was just, <laughs> my heart sunk because um, I think at the time it was just before I ended up having a cardiac arrest um, in there and I've watched you and then you were in hospital at the same time I was now in hospital. I'm going, <laughs> I would much rather have had what I've had now than be going through a spinal cord injury yeah this yeah dude it's, it's a heavy one well we'll get on to well i'm gonna ask we'll ask him what we've, we'll we'll get on to the cardiac arrest thing because that's another heavy story <laughs> but i was gonna ask you as well this might sound a bit out of left field how did like going to the toilet and everything and like using your dick and stuff work because that was hard as well <laughs> not not lit- well, literally actually actually literally yeah, yeah. um because I, I told about this afterwards because your blood, body, body just throws blood down there for, because it doesn't know how to regulate everything. But 
So that was one thing because I got real nervous. I'm like, oh, my dick's never going to work properly again. And then we're in hospital and I was just laying in bed and my dick just got hard as can be. And I was like, well, that's a good thing. But also this is not the time. Yeah. Like, this is like nurses and stuff <laughs> coming back in and I'm just like, bang. Oh, you got nothing to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a similar thing? when I, I think being like a young man and uh, being sexually active as well, it was something I worried about a lot and – yeah, in the hospital, I, was, I wasn't sure if it was going to work and I'd been told, like, there's potential that it's not going to work. And so I was, I think it was my 14th day in, I was sore because I was like, I need to see if this works and I ne- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. But I was in the <laughs> spinal rehab unit in, in the PA and all the doors aren't lockable because nurses have to come in. So I asked the security guard to, um, <laughs> it's very personal, but I got him to unlock the staff toilets and, I disappeared in there for about 45 minutes and I'm trying to get this thing to work. And then finally I'm like, thank goodness. But I couldn't feel there's a, de- there's a line that was like halfway down my dick and left side couldn't feel it for anything. The right side I could feel it, but it was the feeling still off. And even still now I've still got that line. I can still feel half of it, but it probably makes me last a bit longer. So <laughs> I'm not complaining too much, but it was such a big worry for me initially. Oh, Closes yeah. the door, opens the window. Oh, exactly. And it was a bit of a blessing in disguise, but yeah, it was so scary. And I think other people that have spinal cord injuries, it probably isn't something that's spoken about too much. It's you're initially worried about like your neck, your spinal cord, and you're not worried about the other things that it might impact. It might impact like your sexual life and you might not be able to have kids and whatever it may be. Um, so yeah, it was really frightening for me for that first two weeks. And then... I feel, it go, I feel like I feel it goes legs, arms, dick. Yeah, <laughs> the rest can add. Can yeah, yeah. So pretty much, out. yeah. If I can walk and I can use my hands, <laughs> now I can. Next best work. thing, yeah. Yeah, it's like oh, if I can't feel my toes, it doesn't really matter. But dick still works. Oh, dude, what about um, going to the toilet as well? Like going to like taking taking a crap. Was that something that took a long time before that worked as well? Yeah, I think um, it might have been. It's four to six days that I didn't get to take a crap, and I think it was. Um, the medication that I've been on and obviously going through pretty intensive surgery. Um, I wasn't sure if the spinal cord injury had impacted my muscles in my bowel and all those sorts of things either, um, which they did. And I was, I was fortunate enough that all those functions are still fine. And I was able to be independent and going to the toilet, whether it be urinating or pooing, but it was definitely an experience having a doctor come in and stick a finger up your bum to check to see that your anal muscles were still contracting as they should be. It was a very um, relieving feeling knowing that they all work properly, but I think it was a very eye-opening experience at the same time. Was uh, it a he or she? It was female. It ended up being two female doctors. and I was like, At least they got smaller hands, to be fair. Oh, yeah. And she's like, I'm just going to put gloves on. I'm lying on, on the side and neck brace on this table. And like, this is just... Stitch up. I'm like, she whisper in sh- your ear at all? Or oh, was it? I was like, get it a bit more intimate, put some music on or something. <laughs> but, um, My legs don't work. <laughs> yeah. before. It was bad. But, yeah, I had, and I'd already been to the toilet. So I'm like, it works, it all works. I'm like, no, we need to make sure it's working to its full capacity. I'm like, I'm telling you right now, it works. And still had to have this um, lubricated finger go up my bum which is the first for me um, but it was a good giggle and I think everybody else got a bit more of a laugh out of it than I did at the time oh, how vulnerable like in that situation as well like yeah. I remember I got put on the table and there was just dude, there was probably 10 people in this room and I'm like naked 
I've got like a little blanket over me, which it was funny because another nurse later on ripped it off thinking that I had something on the underneath and I'm just like in a room with like she all these people just, look. just yeah. dick out. I'm like, ah, this isn't a, this isn't a high point of my life right now, but you've got all these people around you. You can barely move you're in so much pain. Everyone's kind of prodding you and turning you and you just like, you feel like a lab rat in a way and you're in such a fragile state and obviously they're there to care for you and help you. But at the time you're like, the, this could, this could be a better way. Yeah. And you do feel so vulnerable and, even though they're not thinking about it probably in the same capacity that you are, yeah, they're going, can you just cover me up or anything like that? I think, mm. yeah, after I came out of surgery on the first night, I um, didn't have a catheter in, so still had to pee into a bottle and not being able to use your arms and your legs, you sit there while a female nurse sets you up, puts your dick in a bottle and you're forced to pee. Unbeknownst to me, I didn't actually need to pee. It was just a side effect of coming off the... Um, anesthetic and I fell asleep with my dick sitting in this bottle for about 45 minutes and then waking up knowing that I've been exposed that whole time I was like oh this is pretty shit so I completely understand (laughs) dude wild times what do you think the biggest perspective shift you've had since it happening and then afterwards moving forward from the injury I think it can all go so quickly so to not take things for granted I think I don't normally take things for granted. Like yourself, you probably don't think it's ever going to happen to you either, but then you can lose it all so quickly um, and health as well, big time. So look after those your little things, your diet, your physical health, your mental health, um, and have just be in the moment, be present. Mm. I think we've got a saying, um, it's what's the best that can happen. It's like within our friendship group. So obviously people say, oh, what's the worst that can happen? And we try and take a little spin on that and what's the best that can happen to you. Always thinking in a positive mindset mm. and looking to take positives out of things. So instead of, oh, you might not walk again, it's like, oh, I probably will walk again. I might run again as well. Um, so, yeah, just I think having a positive spin is massive. Having a good mindset it goes a long way in your recovery, physical or mental as well. Yeah, just being super optimistic that it will get better. This is just a speed hump. Yeah. a different thing whatever like it's it's something in part as part of the story but it makes the story better yeah. i think if you look at it like that it's like, i'm not pumped that it happened by any stretch but now i look at okay well now we've just got another chapter in this story that's going to build on the next chapter of this story and keep building from that like it just it gives you an opportunity it gives you this thing that then you can go and go look what happened to me and look how positive I can still be and look how much I can still do. Like I get so drawn to, do you know like about Auschwitz and like the yeah. concentration camps? I get so drawn to all these stories. I've read like three or four books from people that lived through that. And I'm so drawn to it because I'm like, that is the ultimate hell I feel like someone can go through. Every day you don't know if you're going to die. You're watching your family members get killed. You're watching thousands of people die every day. You're getting treated worse than anything else. And you're living in this constant state of fear that you are going to die and so many people were able to pull so much happiness and inspiration and just like will and love and all this stuff out of that situation. So I'm so drawn to that because it's like the hardest shit you go through will then change who you, like it will alter who you are in a positive way if you let it, if you don't go into that mindset of what, like why, why am I going to do it? So that's the thing. You need to figure out that why and make sure there is a point because like if you can say what's the point and obviously you said you felt that, I felt that but you got to get to that and go, okay, what is the point? And then focus on that. And then know coming out of it that it can get way better. Like it's a pendulum, man. It swings. As shit as something will ever be, 
it will have the equal positive effect at some point in your life. And that is like my life vest I wear whenever shit gets real. Like when I'm in the hospital, I'm like, fuck man, this is hard, but it's going to get good. Like it's going to get really good because it's really shit right now. This is as shit as it can get and it can't go anywhere. So it has to go up from (laughs) there. And it will, man, it will. It'll spin back. Like I know at some point, I don't know when it's going to be, like I'm already seeing a lot of good like perspective out of it. I'm already getting a lot out of it, but like I'm still recovering. I still don't have feeling. I'm still in pain. Like I'm not, the pendulum has not swung back yet, but one day I don't know where I'll be, what will happen. I'll be in a situation. I'll look back at that injury and go, man, that changed and altered my life in such a positive way. And I was able to pull these gems out of it, these cheat codes to life. And now I can use that to better my life, to better other people's life, to do what I need to do. And it's all from that struggle and that hardship and those bad times when you're laying on a table and your dick's in a bottle and you're hating it. It's like you look at that and you go, man, I went through some shit and now I can use that hardship to then be a better person today. Yeah. It's just like, and yeah. I feel like, and <laughs> we were talking about this as well, I feel like with you there's someone, maybe the man upstairs, has felt like he's not wanted you to play rugby for whatever reason that is because we talked about obviously the COVID thing happened that put a halt on it. Now you've just had the spinal cord injury and you've come back for that. You you started playing again, didn't you? Yeah. So uh, I was told I would never play rugby again, but um, I got a clearance. I think it was August last year. Um, So I got the clearance to go back to contact sport, which I was stoked about and jumped straight back into it. Wes were happy for me to go play with them so I played the all, all the seven series with them um, and injury free I loved it and it was great being back in a team environment competing at a, like a nice high level again we went up to state championships and ended up like doing quite well there so that was great and then rolling into this year I went and did a pre-season um, in Brizzy and then ended up playing like one or two games of 15s um, before then hoping to come back to sevens at the end of the year uh, so Pretty well injury-free all year, feeling quite fit, strong, healthy, um, being able to train well with different sensations and coordination issues, but pretty well the happiest, healthiest, fittest version I've been since my spinal cord injury. Uh, and then I was meant to head off to Singapore to play Singapore Sevens and then go and play another tennis comp in Malaysia in, at the start of November this year. And then on the 30th of September, I was just on a cruisy run with one of the boys and cardiac arrest hit, had a sudden cardiac arrest at the front of north burley surf club um so yeah i was just going for a crazy 5k nothing too intense i think we were averaging about four minute 15 k's which is really slow or cruisy for me normally um and then I hit about the two and a half k mark and had a brief period of lightheadedness for about five ten seconds and then i got woken up which ended up being about 10 minutes later or just under um but yeah i'd stopped after that period of lightheadedness, stood up, fell back, had no pulse for five and a half minutes, had my mate that I was running with um, start compressions on me and a couple of members of the public were able to do CPR and I was lucky enough to cop a shock from a defibrillator and get my heart started about six minutes later. Um, so technically you were just, you were dead yeah, for about five, six minutes. Five, yeah, five and a half, six minutes. I had no, no pulse. Um, so I was clinically dead for that time and very lucky I'm still here now. Um, so I'm what, five, six weeks on from that happening and I'm feeling good, honestly. I'm feeling pretty well good, but I, I spent yeah, two weeks in hospital, same similar, similar time while you were having your neck injury and I was sitting up in a different hospital bed and battling 
what had gone on. Still, we don't know what happened on the day. Um, had I've had every scan and test under the sun done, and they can't pretty much pick up why I had a sudden cardiac arrest. I've got no family history. I've got a healthy heart. Everything operates the way it should. Um, like my blood vessels are all the right size. I have no irregular rhythms, and my blood work came back clear. No signs of virus or any infection in my body. So it's literally a bit of a mystery, and they weren't able to figure out what went on. Unfortunately, that meant. Um, I had a decision to make at the end of all the testing, which was do I then risk uh, continuing to live and playing sport and doing all these things um, without any sort of support, being a defibrillator or a pacemaker, um, which would allow me, if I didn't have the operation, put that in to still play rugby and to still do all these sort of things. But if I had another sudden cardiac arrest for unknown reason... I probably wouldn't be as lucky or there's potential for me not to be as lucky. I might not be revived or I might come back with um, like brain damage or anything of the sort. Uh, so I had that decision to get it in or get it out and yeah, I ended up having subcutaneous defibrillator implanted just under my, or just outside my left lat and there's a wire that runs up my chest. So um, yeah, pretty life-changing event for me again and it's, yeah, it's given the rugby bit of a flick and push to the side so as you were saying perspective and seeing where life is going to take me now is I think one of the like the thoughts I'm having every day like why why did this happen and I'm optimistic about why it's happened and there's obviously a different plan for me now but very full and experience I think that's the thing man it's right now and I know you're very self-aware and you're someone that does see that, okay, this isn't for me, but whatever is for me will come and it will probably be better than what rugby could have actually been. But at the same time, you're like, man, were you like shooting black cats and smashing mirrors and walking under ladders or something in the past life? Because I just like, I, I hate when people say luck or unlucky or lucky because I think that's all bullshit and what is luck anyway. But just to have those things happen. And like you say, there's no history of, this in your family and just to have it completely come out of the blue and then you were saying even when they were testing you they had to do all these different tests and it was super painful wasn't it yeah i think i had an ep study done which is like a sort of a standard heart check but they had to do it with no sedation at all so i was fully awake for this two-hour procedure where they send three electrodes up through one of the ephemeral veins in your groin so the only numbing i had was in that area of my body everything else i could feel so that i had my heart beat race about 270 beats per minute while i'm lying on a table hooked up to a defibrillator echo i've just got wires hanging off me while they have these other wires inside my chest which i can feel and then race my heart which i can feel again it was probably the most uncomfortable procedure i've ever had and two hours of that to then find nothing uh, was pretty disheartening i was hoping i was honestly hoping that they found something that they could say yes this is treatable by giving you whatever it may be or it's not treatable and we have to put the defibrillator like put a defib in so then i'm like okay it's not like i don't have any answers which and then i'm doing a 50 50 on stop doing the thing that i love to do um for something that may never occur again but unfortunately i didn't get any answers and how long did you have to really think on that and work out which direction you wanted to go because you are really you're just you're destroying a dream but you could be saving your life yeah i think um it's a it was a really tricky one for me and i think i had to make a decision by 
the following Wednesday. So I had all the testing was getting done. So I was, I was probably about the 10 day mark and they'd said that you're probably going to have to make a decision on whether or not you're getting a DFib put in or not. The recommendation will be that you're getting this DFib put in pending the results of that last test. Um, and I think it came down to more so a decision that doesn't only impact me as though, although I'm the one that had the cardiac arrest and I've, I'm the one dealing with the like, immediate consequence. If I was to not get a DFib put in, it has the potential to impact so many more people. Um, like on the day I might not have been revived. And I just think if I didn't come back and I, I stayed dead on that day, the impact wouldn't just be on me. It'd be my parents, my friend, like immediate friends, my extended friends. And it just impacts so many more people. So for me to not get a DFib put in is probably quite a selfish decision. Mm. Um, as much as I'd love to pursue rugby or just have the freedom to play contact sport, whether, whatever it may be, even if I don't get, go down a professional pathway, just to have the social interaction. Um, Did you, you were saying as well that the reason you didn't have any brain damage from this because there was oxygen at the surf club, so they just got oxygen on you straight away and that was like a godsend and obviously had the defibrillator as well. Yeah, so everything on the day, as, as you are saying, as unlucky as it was, I was extremely lucky, so... I fell in the middle of a concrete path straight backwards. The only thing that didn't hit the concrete was my head, which landed on a bit of grass and sand. Um, so I remember waking up with a sore head. I'm like, that's a bit odd. What, what happened there? And they, my friend that I was running with said, I just went stiff and fell back. And if I didn't go stiff, I would have hit my head. And if I didn't fall where I fell, I would have hit my head. Um, I was also about 50 to 100 metres from a lifeguard tower. And there was a life. Um, saving tournament on at the time so they already had oxygen and the defib out so they didn't have to retrieve it from wherever it may be so instead of it being a few hundred meters away it ended up being literally 50 to 100 meters from me so while i was um, without a pulse and no heartbeat they managed to put the oxygen on me um, and give my brain oxygen supply and then give me cpr as well so i never had any um, brain damage thank god because yeah, I think I'd much rather, as bad as it says, I'd rather not be here if I wasn't um, all there. I feel I could be a bit of a burden on everybody else. So yeah, everything that happened on the day happened really well. And I guess that's the whole thing with the defib going in. It's like if it does go to that situation, it's very unlikely that you'll be that lucky again. So it's like, okay, you do have it happen again. You do get brain damage. You can't, can't then make a call about what you want to do with your life. Like you said, you can Correct, yeah. become a burden and it's just... Like I wouldn't want that either. Yeah. And it's like you can't you can control what happens now, you might not be able to control what happens later. Oh, for sure. I think um now that I've got it in, it's sort of given me a little bit less to stress about too. It's not like I'm straight back into, okay, you didn't have any um defib put in, so there's no recovery of having a surgery done. So do I get back into the gym? Do I get back into like running, training hard and getting my heart rate up up to a certain level with it might just be sitting in the back of my mind all the time. Whereas now I've got it in, I have to recover from an initial surgery, but now yeah, moving forward, I don't have to worry about having another cardiac arrest and the impacts that that might have on me and everybody else too. What, for anyone that doesn't know, because I didn't really know exactly what a D, like I know what a defib machine does, but I didn't realise what it, obviously I thought it did the same thing, but how does it actually work when it's inside of your body? It's a similar kind of thing, isn't it? Where it's like there's cords or wires running across your chest to your heart. Is that how it works? Sort of, yeah. So I think there's like a few different types. So I've got one that's called a subcutaneous defibrillator. Um, so there's like a titanium box that has 
a battery and then it also can deliver a charge and that's inserted just under my left armpit that's sort of at the bottom of my pectoral muscle on the left side of my body and then there's a wire that runs out of that across the bottom of my breastbone and then up my chest um, so it's not actually inside of my heart like your standard defibrillator um, or um, pacemaker but if I go into an irregular rhythm or my heart stops it'll deliver a shock and should get it started or sort of regulate it to a normal um, rhythm again but you said that sometimes it can just shock you even when you're not going into one can't it yeah there's a potential for it to give you um like a, a, a false reading and then it might pick up on something and give you a shock and i've been told it's like getting kicked in the chest by a horse so i'm hoping i don't have to cop that and i think i worry about that a little bit at the moment being so active like i'm going to train and get my heart rate higher so i'm hoping whatever level that get up gets up to it's not going to trigger um, a bit of a shock from the deep. You might see me you see, working out and boom. <laughs> you see, I was going to say it might actually be like you're trying to go for your bit like heaviest squat or something and it hits you and you shoot the bar. Have you yeah. seen, this is like a th- thing I'm thinking of when like Iron Man on the Avengers, when he Thor hits Iron Man with the lightning and it actually charges him up and he like has, gets more power. Yeah. I'm just imagining you now in the like a gym setting so and it hits you, know, you and you're like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping it gives go me a for good your max bench or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, that's a bit of a worry, but if it happens or not, then we'll have to deal with it at the time. So it's a bit scary. I think I, I've looked into it a little bit too much and I saw that you can have them that can short circuit. And there was a recall a few years back on exact, like the exact model that I've got um, because somebody got electrocuted from it short circuiting. And I'm like, oh. Um, so yeah, it's but not then, not ideal. But then you just can't, like we talked about before, living in fear. Like I had fear of just driving and being like turning my neck too quickly when I got out of the brace too early and paralyzing myself when I was driving. Like that was a real fear of mine. I'm like, I'm going to be driving and I'll turn my neck really fast and it'll yeah. short circuit something and I'll get paralyzed and I'll just crash into a car. Like I, just, I thought that, that was a real thought that I had. And I guess for you, it's more realistic because it's well, they're both kind of realistic in their own weird way, but um for you obviously it's more realistic that it could happen but then if you live in that fear it's you're gonna put a ceiling on your own growth with training with being social with being whatever it is or anything to get your heart rate high so it's it's hard like it's hard to shut that out because it's a reality it's there but also you don't want it to control your actions and what you do yeah definitely i think like us being pretty free-spirited people like you want to be able to do what you want all the time so trying to remove that fear from everyday thinking or just activities is pretty important um it's going to be a hard one for me because yeah there's going to be those thoughts and even now i'm not pushing my body too much so i'm not having to think about it often um so when i do get back into it it's probably something that's going to pop up a bit more Mm. like like with your neck that's off it's ever-changing so the thoughts process behind it all are often ever-changing as well. So we'll see how we go. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that it, it does all go well. And I'm actually hoping, because I've got genetic testing getting done um, at the moment to see if there is anything that they like, did miss. So if there is something that's treatable, it can come out, which is a good thing. Um, and if I don't get a shock in the next eight or so years, whenever it needs to be replaced, then be another decision if I get a new one put in or get that taken out. So... Yeah, hopefully I can end up with a bit more normality somewhere down the track and not have a defib sitting inside my chest that could potentially give me a big kick. <laughs> give you the horse kick. <laughs> yeah. If you need your car started, just give me a call. <laughs> I'll get my heart rate up and bang. Oh, dude. But now you're saying like already straight away from this going on and everything that's happened, you're just like, I was like, what do you want to do now? And you're like, I want to go to the Special Olympics and join 
Is it that? Yeah. So I think now that I can't compete in, like I've always loved competing in something. Um, so I applied for the Paralympics. So we'll see. Oh, Paralympics, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll see if I qualify. I think I might be a little bit too able-bodied, unfortunately. But if I do, unfortunately, fit, unfortunately, yeah. It's a, it. As we were saying before, it's like <laughs> it's a good thing, but it's also you'd rather be able to still do something to a certain extent. But yeah, we'll see if I can get that qualification. It'd be awesome, and then just gives you something to work towards as well. Um, but if not, yeah, we'll see what, what else is in store. Would it just be rugby? Like it would be going in to play rugby or something else? Uh, I don't think they have rugby. It'd be like athletics based. I think there's triath. I've, I ticked every box possible. <laughs> I think there was rowing, athletics, triathlons. I didn't tick swimming. It's not my strong suit. So I left that one out, but I'd be open to doing a swimming leg in a triathlon um, and cycling. So I think everything endurance based or sprint based, I would have a good crack at. So I might need a few of your, your tips on getting on a bike. Oh, getting on a bike or a <laughs> rower. I'll show you on a rower. Yeah. That's one I think thing. I hate them, but I'll definitely help someone get better at it. Yeah, yeah. I think that, the <laughs> technique, I'm pretty good with a rower. But it's. Uh, I'm hoping, yeah, I think Saturday I've got, I'm going to head up to um, QAS and have a bit of an assessment done and we'll know a bit more then. So hopefully I can get the tick of approval and then might be a different uh, avenue and even sport to pursue over the next little bit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, exciting. If if it doesn't go ahead and just say you don't get, you don't qualify to go into it, is there something else you have in mind that you try and dump focus into? Honestly, not really. I think um, like I've got a four-wheel drive set up, so I might take off and just explore a little bit for a while and just to really enjoy the current the current time, like go on a few holidays and spend a bit of time with friends and family and just be able to enjoy Slow down a little yeah, bit. Yeah, slow down, take back. Because I was, I was working six days a week, training six days a week. I'd, you'd go out maybe on your Sunday and that's about it or you'd catch up with a mate for a brekkie every now and then. But there's like there's people or there's family members that you don't see for long periods at a time and it could have been over that day. So I think now that I've got time to relax and reset, I'm going to really make the most of it. Hopefully I can pick something else up during that time off. Yeah, dude, I think it's that's so important and I'm with you there. And it's funny because since coming back, I had like laying on the ground when it happened, I was like, oh, there's so much stuff I wanted to do and then I'm not going to be able to do now. And I thought about that. And then obviously I'm starting to get better and pretty active and mobile now. But now it's funny because, and it's not a bad thing, but I'm trying to like obviously get this new business started up and putting lots of effort into it. But then also what comes with that is like stress and all this stuff and then you're going to start working x amount of hours and all that and there's a part of me that's like i just want to go mia i just want to disappear for a while and it's kind of it is selfish in a way i should probably go see all my family and just be like i'm okay give me a hug we're all good and then just smoke bomb and go missing in who knows where for a while because yeah it's like you're saying when you're working six days a week or when you're training and you're on this treadmill that is just never ending and it's then you get you get off that treadmill and then you jump on a different treadmill and don't get me wrong, the treadmills are nice. Like mm. they're good to run on. There's some AC, you get to drinks. People like it's it's a nice treadmill. But sometimes it's nice to just get off that treadmill and just go wandering for a while and who knows where you're going to end up. But there's something I think about people and I think about when people become in a social environment, they're like, well, my friend's working and they're doing this nine to five and then they have a job from Monday to Friday and then we do this on the weekends and you get so caught in that because it's comfortable. Like it's super comfortable to live that lifestyle. And then I think if you step outside of that and do become a bit of a like outsider nomad kind of person, 
I think it's viewed as what are you doing with your life? Like, why aren't you going after these goals or why aren't you doing that? And there's someone and like yourself and I guess myself that went after goals for so long in their life and achieved a lot of them. It's so fulfilling and cool, but you're kind of always just striving towards something, which I think is really powerful and really good. But sometimes you just want to go sleep in your four drive in the middle of nowhere and not care when you wake up and not know what you're going to do tomorrow. Like that's, that's powerful in itself. So I think yeah. that's definitely something like if these doesn't work out and you don't have that next goal, like just go chill for a bit and yeah. be okay with that as well. Definitely. Yeah. I think because I've never been able to, not never been able to, but I've never done that. Like I've never just taken off and gone on a holiday and not known when my return flight is and yeah. or taking my swag and a mountain bike up Noosa and just have a few days to relax and have a coffee by myself and read a book and camp or mm. stuff like that. I think it's going to be a good change if, that is the next thing. Um, but having such a big unknown, is so, uh, what's the word? So alien for me. It's so yeah. unusual, yeah. But it's cool either way. Yeah. That's the thing you realise. Like, if it goes this way, all Sweet. good. If it goes that way, all good. Yeah. Like, it doesn't... And I think that's... If you have that mindset in life in general, it's like, I want this to happen. But if it doesn't, eh, there's that thing. And sure. I think it's so refreshing. It's... And I, I talked about this with a podcast I just did with my mate as well. It's so hard to carry that mindset, but then also be super competitive. Because yeah. if you're super competitive about something, you care if it fails or not. So it's like you've got to be super competitive, but then also understand the fact that if it does fail, it's all it's good, okay. man. Yeah. I think like at the end of the day, everything always works out. Yeah. And like you might be in the shittest job or whatever it is you might have no money but everything always works out and it's the perspective thing and what's the best that can happen well they say it it always works out in the end and if it hasn't worked out it's not the end exactly yeah i think that's so true i think for me rugby wasn't supposed to work out as shit as that may be something else is going to pop up and Mm. yeah i'm happy at the end of the day aren't you and nathan going to run a do a podcast now no oh, i might try and get my <laughs> mate on the podcast i think he might take a bit of leg pulling to get on there but you don't think he stands in front of a camera and oh, he, he just dances dance all day chat. long but yeah i don't know if, if how we go jumping on having a bit of a chat i'm gonna try pull his leg and get something going but we'll see you don't think you'd have i don't know to be honest is a, a character i think me and him together is dangerous a bit of a recipe to cook up a bit of a few laughs and Get a few interesting personalities on board, but yeah, we'll see. We'll get him on there. I'll set up a studio, have you come straight in yeah, there. Roll on. <laughs> then he'll be dancing in the corner, we'll be chatting shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, normally, I've been trying to ask these questions as I go through the podcast, but I haven't actually asked them. I'm going to throw them at the end here now. But I've got three questions I normally ask. Uh, the first one is if you could go back and change something in your life and then come forward to the point you are now. Is there something you'd want to alter and change that you didn't want to happen or you wish you learned something or wish you said something to someone or like something that if you could go back, be like, I would change that for now. And it could be like reading more books, not getting injured, asking the girl out, like something like that. Is there something you can think of that was like, oh, I want to change that? Probably not if I'm honest. Like I'm pretty content in everything that's happened. I think there's always going to be good, bad, but um, I'm, yeah, I'm really content in everything that's that's going on even though there's been a bit of shit that's um brush washed off over the last few years i'm yeah very okay with everything that's happened and decisions i've made and places i've been able to go because i 
and even though I've had these big injuries, I've still been able to do some really amazing things, meet really cool people, um, and I've got a story to tell now too. So, yeah, yeah I don't, cool I don't think stories. That's good. Yeah. All right, the next one. What are you scared of? Oof. that's a that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that stump, that one stumps me. I think scared of the dark. Um, yeah, but. So I can't, I can't tell you off the top of my head. There's not one thing that stands out. What about what, what were you scared of as a kid you might have overcome? Probably loneliness, yeah. I think I used to really love, and I'd have to be with people all the time or I really enjoy having that connection with different people and would often find I'd be busy. I'd be seeing friends or I'd be spending time with family, but now I can be quite content just having a bit of time by myself. Mm. Um even though the brain will be ticking a million miles an hour about whatever it may be, I, I can relax and settle down and enjoy a bit of time by myself. So, yeah, I'm a very content individual. <laughs> no, I can definitely relate to that. I think a lot I think a lot of people are scared of that, even if they don't want to admit it. Like I, th- I read something somewhere that people had the option between like an electric shock or being alone for like with their thoughts with nothing for like 20 minutes and most people could pick the shock. So it's just people are terrified yeah. of being isolated. Definitely. I think I used to combat like the loneliness or like not wanting to just be a bit self-present um, by going on my phone a lot. And don't get me wrong, I still have my moments where I'm on that thing way too much. But I think like even yesterday, I just decided I was going to walk from Mermaid to Burley and didn't touch my phone. I was just trotting along, having a good old time taking in the waves, the person, person walking past me and just thinking about what's going on at the moment. But yeah, it's only a little bit of a life hack. If you can nail that little bit of um, just self-awareness, it's awesome. Mm. I had, yeah, the phone thing's a whole kettle of fish, hey, but just step away from it and somehow happiness, you just get happier. It's like, oh, this is, this is weird. I think the other day when Optus was down, I was out at Breccia in Burley and I was watching people interact with each other, having conversations, no phones involved. I'm like, this is awesome. Yeah. And the person that I was having Breccia with, we had to organize the time that we were meeting up and we weren't able to communicate when we we're going to be there. So it was like, okay, this is like old school. We'll be here at this time and then we'll go from there work it out you had to talk to the waiter because there was no qr code yeah. it's like stuff like that man it's actually so nice and it's something because you don't interact with people anymore ever no. you get a qr code they drop your food off they leave you go somewhere else it's like it's just all digital and it's just disconnecting us from connection and people and it's yeah it's really sad yeah. <laughs> it's not having the full face-to-face where you can just sit and talk and mm. not be interrupted by oh look at this or look at this and check my instagram or that's that's why I did this is one of the reasons I really enjoy doing this thing like the podcast it's like how often do you sit down with someone and you're not going to go on your phone you're not going to like you're you're present you're super present for this moment and no one really you don't do that anymore no one does that there's always a distraction I guess it comes back to when we're both on the ground and it's like there's no other thoughts there's no other things going on and this is kind of obviously I'm still thinking about other stuff and there's other things going on but you are so much more present in this moment and you're not thinking about, oh, I'm going to check my phone. Oh, I'm going to see something else. I'm going to do all this. It's like you are present in this moment. I heard a thing which I completely agree with it. If you have friends, no matter who you are, do a mini fake podcast with them. Just get your phone, press the record button on like your audio or a video or whatever. Sit down and do a fake podcast with them and just catch up with them. And I'm like, okay, 
one, you've got this audio from you guys chatting that I'm guaranteeing one day you'll listen back to it and be like, that was so cool that we did that. And that will be a positive. You'll probably focus on how you speak. You'll probably speak better because you actually will listen back and be like, oh, I, I swear a lot or I say like a lot or I do this other thing that I shouldn't do. So you've probably fixed that as well. And you just have a good chat with your mate and you'll be present. It's like, just do that once a week. Do a catch up and record it and pretend it's your fake podcast. Call it whatever you want to do. But I guarantee you'd probably be, parts of your life would become better from just like viewing yourself and having a chat with your friend and being present. Yeah, like, definitely. I agree. And you hit the nail on the head. You, and you, having that experience of being so present with yourself and then like it might be even in your recovery, you're not thinking about going on your phone. You're thinking, okay, I'm going to try and get my finger to move and yeah. try and get my arm to move. And all your thoughts like so direct and present, if you can then take that and relate it to other aspects of your life, yeah. yeah Carry it over. All right, okay. I got one more hard one for you to finish it off. How do you want to be remembered? Hilarious. I think I want to be <laughs> remembered that I was funny. I, I think all my mates, if you bump into them, they just – Blake talks shit all the time. Like he's always joking. He's always having a good time and just happy to be around. Um, but yeah, I think I'd love to be. If if I didn't get revived that day, I think that I would have had. There'd be a lot of people with a lot of funny stories to tell. So yeah, that's the thing. It's not many people go over and come back. Really, do they? Or yeah, well, not that I know of. So it was definitely an experience for me. Just that in itself. <laughs> It's like, yeah, the paralyzed thing wasn't enough. Let's take it to another level and yeah. and do that as well, man. Yeah. That that is that is it's so heavy. It's so heavy to see that you've gone through two massive life altering events in your life, and you're just still just like, I just want to be a funny guy. I want to have fun. I'll yeah. find the new thing. Like, it's such a powerful thing for people to hear that because I think there's be plenty of people out there going through stuff that's like you literally fucking died. Like yeah. people are going, oh, my life sucks. Like this is hard. And you're like, nah, man, it gets it's pretty good. It can, yeah, yeah, it can be good. And even yeah. if it is bad, it can still turn back into something good. Yeah. So no, I really appreciate like sharing the stories for one and just, yeah, being open and honest and showing the, where you, what you went through and how you came out of it. Um, before we hang it up, anything you want to say or anyone you want to give a shout out to or just say like, I really, love yeah. your mom. <laughs> uh, I love them all. But, um, <laughs> they know. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I'm grateful that we can have like such open communication as well. Like having such significant injuries and being able to float um, just recovery topics and all those sorts of things. And it really helps me, even with my cardiac arrest, knowing that you're consistently going, getting your rehab done, all those sorts of things. So, yeah, it's, it's good to be surrounded by like minded individuals. And yeah, thanks for having a good chat. No, I see. Appreciate it, Blake. Awesome. Cheers, dude. Awesome. Thanks, Dean. <laughs> See you at the pub. <laughs> See you on the dance floor. Yeah. Oh, bro. Oh, happy days. How was that? Yeah, that was good. That was definitely new for me.